The last couple Sundays we've been talking about reinstatement of Peter and the questions that Jesus asked him to uh, reinstate Peter back into relationship. And the questions that Jesus rose to Peter were real simple. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? And uh, today I want to talk about the real answers. The real answers to that question. We've been talking about how Jesus powerfully uses questions. And he uses them to get through some of the, maybe the shell games that we play in our life. That questions are really important. And Jesus knows how to ask a question. And that God still uses questions in our lives today. So today I want to talk about the realness of the questions. And the real answers will make a difference. If I choose, because it is my choice, to answer the questions partially truthful or untruthful, or if I answer them truthfully, there's a different consequence and there's a different benefit. But these truly are life-changing answers. When, you, when the Lord asks you a question, he asks the questions for a real purpose. And if you answer the questions honestly, they will change your life. The question Jesus asked Peter is certainly an interesting one. Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, we all want to be loved. I don't know that there's any one of us in here this morning that would not say that. Because it makes us feel good about ourselves. It makes us feel like we're a good person and that we have friends that like us. And and it really is about us. It really is. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, which I'm trying to get to the point of today to be honest with ourselves, it's really about us. Do people like me? Am I popular? It's a big deal for us. We are just wired to have to have that assurance. But I think the reason that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, wasn't about Jesus. Like, we ask questions like that. If, if I say, Greg, do you love me? It's really about me. Dave, do you love me? I, I'm really wanting to know, do you like me? And that's not what Jesus was really trying to get at, I don't believe, when he was asking Peter this question, because I think Jesus was wanting to know more about Peter. He was asking the question, Peter, do you love me, more to find out about where Peter's at. He was more concerned about how Peter would answer the question because that would indicate really how Peter was doing. It would indicate where he is in his spiritual life. Jesus didn't need to have someone placate him and make him feel good about himself. It wasn't about Jesus. There was nothing selfish or self-centered in this question for Jesus' sake. How do we know what Jesus was really wanting to get out of Peter? Do you think that Jesus was expecting Peter to just parrot back the question the way Jesus asked it? without any real thought behind it? Do you think that Jesus was just asking for Peter just to give a off-the-top-of-his-head answer? Or do you think Jesus wanted a real answer? I believe Jesus was looking for a real answer from Peter today, just like he wants from you and I today a real answer. He doesn't want to be fooled. (laughs) He doesn't want to be patronized. 
I know you don't like it when somebody patronizes you. I don't like it. I don't like it when I know somebody, I'm asking them a question and, and they're giving me the answer that I want to hear just because they think they want to try to fool me or to impress me. No, no more than you do. Real truthful answers are the only answers that really matter. Can I just say that? Truthful answers are the only ones that really matter. Everything else, every other answer will be thrown out and every other answer will act as only as a distraction that will end up bringing destruction to your life if you don't answer the questions truthfully and honestly. And I would encourage us all that we would not get sucked down that path of deception and dishonesty answering the questions the way we think they want us to answer the questions. Am I making sense? All right. John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17 is our text. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let's pray. Father, teach us what this means, I pray. And just give us, enlighten our hearts and our minds today with the truth of what you would have that we would glean from these questions. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. See, I think that we can look at this passage typically as just a mercy passage if we wanted to. We could look at it and just to say how merciful and how grace-filled Jesus was to reinstate Peter. And we could just make this a really feel-good moment. And we could, you know, just pretend they're around the campfire eating fish and having bread and singing kumbaya, you know, and having just a Girl Scout moment here, right? And I think that is often the way that this is mentioned and brought out. But I think there's so much more here. There's so much more in what Jesus is asking of Peter and the assignments that Jesus is giving that this is a time of reality. This is a a time of truth in the life of Peter and all the disciples that are listening to this because this apparently is in a public setting. This isn't, I don't think Jesus got Peter aside and said, Peter, and whispered in his ear, do you love me? No, I think this was in front of all all the disciples. And I think they all were watching and and listening to the reaction and, and listening for Peter's reaction here. So I see some really important things to talk about when, it's, when you start talking about love. So today I want to go a little bit deeper into what the response was that Peter had for Jesus. Now we find that there are varying forms and types of love, and we all know that. I mean, we all throw that love word around. I can say that I love pizza. <laughs> I love a good pizza. I can love a good movie or I can love a good book. I can love you, my friends. I can love God. I can love my wife. I can love lots of things in life. But they're all different types of love here and what's being referenced. My love for pizza and my love for you and my love for God and, for, and my love for my wife are all different. I will guarantee you that I do not love you the way I love my wife. And I shouldn't love you the way I love my wife, and vice versa. And I know, I know that there have been many sermons that have been written about 
the types of love that Jesus is talking about here. And, and I will just tell you right now that I am not a biblical theologian, so I can't be, uh, I don't want to go down the path of digging into all the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and all the, the language that was going on, but I have read enough to know that there is a big difference in the types of love and how the words are used. But I want to say this much, that the Greek word for love, the, the, what Jesus was using, was the word agape. And agape is a word referring to love, a term, and it means that we are to love in the highest form. Love of God for man and what God intends for man to have for God. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that is unearned. It's a pretty intimate, very deep love. And Jesus was wanting to know if Peter loved him the same way that Jesus loved him. Because when Jesus asked Peter the question, he says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But the Greek word that Peter used to describe love was philio. Now, philio is a type of love, but it is a brotherly type of love. It's not nearly as intimate or as intense as agape love. Philio means to be friendly to one, to have affection as a matter of feeling or a matter of sentiment. It's love, but it's not the same context. So Jesus was really asking Peter, Peter, do you agape me, meaning love me with a self-sacrificing love like God has? And Peter answered, yes, Jesus, I feel you'll love you like a good friend and a good brother. Twice Jesus used the words agape. Twice Peter responded back with filio. Finally, the third time Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you filio me? Do you love me like a brother? Now, I'm not sure here what Jesus felt about this. I'm not sure if he was disappointed. I'm not sure if his feelings were hurt. And I don't even want to go down that path because that's not the point of the message. I want to talk about why Peter answered the way he answered and why he just didn't answer back the way Jesus asked him. Peter had enough integrity to answer truthfully. Remember what Peter had just experienced. Peter just denied Jesus three times just a few days before this. Three times he denied Jesus at Jesus' worst time. And that brought great pain into Peter's life, and it really hurt him deeply. Also recognize that Peter has a history of making very bold statements of his own personal willpower, including the statement that he most recently, recently made in Mark chapter 14. This is when Jesus was telling Peter what was going to happen, telling the disciples what was going to happen and predicting his death. And Jesus says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And verse 29 says of that passage in Mark 14, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. <laughs> Peter's boldness of his own self-will came out again. So now, a few days later, after Peter made that travesty in his denial of Jesus, maybe now Peter is learning to answer questions with a little more humility, a little more humbleness in his spirit. Maybe he's not quite as bold as he was before because he had just, he's just coming off a big failure. So maybe he's learning to be a little bit more moderate 
and a little bit humble in his statements. And his answer to Jesus is showing that. And I think Jesus must have appreciated that. I think he must have looked at Peter to say, ah, maybe you're getting to where I want you to get now, Peter. So I think there's some answers. I think there's some real power in truthful answers. And that's the first point I want to make. Peter is responding to Jesus in truth. Jesus was looking for the real answers that would indicate Peter's true spiritual condition. And just so you know, that's exactly what Jesus is asking of you and me today. He wants to know truly how we feel about him. He wants to know the real answers. Real answers that come from a truthful heart are powerful because when we're real with God and with ourselves, then and only then will we be in a position that God can truly help us. It's only when I'm honest about where I'm at in my spiritual life am I giving God permission to get involved in it and to help me in it. If we're posing as somebody, and we all know what posers are, if we're posing as someone that we're not, and if we're giving answers thinking that we're going to impress God or others, then the reality is we're as lost as the worst sinner, no matter what you think about yourself. If you're not honest with your answers, you might as well go and just enjoy the world's pleasures and then deal with the consequences because that's exactly where we are. Questions like this, the questions that Jesus is asking is to help us see ourselves for who we really are. And that's why questions are so important, and that's why they're so good for us. We talked a, a few weeks ago, we talked all sermon about questions, and we came to, the, came to the conclusion that questions are good. A good answer can always substantiate or stand up to a good question. Don't get upset if people ask questions of your life. Because God is using questions to help you see who you are. And maybe that's the only way you can see truly who you are if somebody else will bring up the question. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing for Peter today. Peter was at least honest enough to use the proper terminology that he knew he could honestly do. If Peter would have said, yes, I agape you, he would have been lying to Jesus. Peter knew that he was only able at that moment in time to really love Jesus like a good friend. In the past, Peter was typically quick to blurt out things without much thought or maybe even um, with a boastful pride. The old Peter probably would have been very tempting for Peter to say, yes, Jesus, I agape you without ever having a second thought about it without ever even realizing, can I even do that? He just would have said, yeah, I'll do it. And let me ask you, how many times have we done that? How many times have you asked or answered a question to somebody without even thinking about your answer? Truly, am I serious about it? Am I really going to do what I say I'm going to do? Or am I just answering the question because that's the kind of answer they want? What are we doing to each other when we answer, when we treat each other that way? We're not helping each other. You're not helping me. You're not helping the church. You're not helping yourself. You're not helping your spouse. In fact, what you're doing is you're putting a lot of false answers out there, a lot of hopes out there that are going to be dashed and that are going to be hurt. Maybe it's easier to, to say what we think someone wants to hear just because it keeps the conversation flowing. 
<laughs> it keeps it going in a positive way. So we don't really want to upset anybody, so we just ask, ask, answer the question in a way that we want people to hear the answer. Or maybe we don't want to get real with the person. Now, well, I, I, we, we talked about that in Sunday school today, and, and what I'm hearing here from the people that were in Sunday school is that what they appreciate about this church is that this is a safe place, that they can be real with their real answers. And how powerful that is for us to hear that. If I don't want to get real with the person and if I give them a fake answer, it may make it easier to get out of the conversation with somebody because I don't have to get deep with somebody. I can just stay at that superficial level and just, you know, be done with it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know how easy it is to just answer the question the way people want to hear the answer so you can just be done with them and move on? Let me ask you, do you think that Jesus would have known that? Do you think that if that's the way Peter would have answered, do you think Jesus would have known that? <laughs> of course. Of course Jesus could have discerned that in Peter's life. And don't you know that Jesus can discern your thoughts as well? That you're not able to pull one over on Jesus any more than Peter was able to pull one over? How do you think Jesus would have reacted or felt about that? I can tell you that I'm sure it would have hurt Jesus more if Peter would have said, yeah, I feel it, or I agape you, Jesus, without Peter being able to do that. That would have hurt Jesus much more than the honest answer that Peter gave him that says, I feel you, Jesus. I love you like a brother. Hmm. An honest answer. Can I just say this? An honest answer is always the best answer. The honest answer, as difficult as it is, is always the best answer. It might require more time and more effort because it might get a little messy in the process. But in the long run, everyone is better off with a real answer. And I have to think that Jesus understood Peter was being honest with him and knowing, and Jesus knew that that's all that Peter could muster up at the time. That's all he had in him. And Jesus probably was very graceful with that. And that is what I believe truly motivates the true mercy of grace of God is an honest answer. When I can be honest with God and say, God, I'm really not doing my best right now. I'm struggling in some areas. That's what motivates Christ to come down and send the Holy Spirit down and say, hey, just minister to that brother and sister down there. If you really truly want to live in true freedom, if you want to live in true freedom and true peace of mind, then be truthful in your answers because the truth sets you free. John chapter 8, verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Powerful. Powerful little, little verse right there. So the first thing about this message is that Jesus wanted a truthful answer, and Peter gave him a, truth, a truthful answer. The second thing that Jesus didn't want is a list of excuses. This is very important for us to understand. Because we are so quick to respond to a difficult question or a situation with a list of excuses or justifications as to why I did what I did or why I didn't do what I didn't do. Am I wrong? Or is a justification or an excuse a quick thing to come out of our mouth? See, Peter could have taken Jesus down a long road of excuses here. For those three times that he betrayed him, I mean, I could just imagine Peter could have said, Jesus, I was, I was really tired, man. It was a long day. I wasn't prepared for the answer. I, I mean, I wasn't prepared for the question. They caught me off guard. 
I really didn't mean it, Jesus. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, but I just wasn't prepared. And, and Jesus, and you also know that I have a tendency to blurt out. I have a tendency, so I'm, I blurt things out. And Jesus, you know, that's just the way I am. How do you think Jesus would have felt? Is that what Jesus wanted, was a list of excuses? I don't think the conversation would have gone very well for Peter. <laughs> I don't think it, it is at all because Jesus doesn't like excuses. Excuses and justifications never result in an endpoint that satisfies anyone, the asker of the question or the one answering the question. What are excuses? Excuses really are things we hide behind when we don't like the truth. If we don't like the truth of what we see, excuses are the first thing that, that comes to our mind. We justify our actions and our poor choices. We blame someone else or something else. We reflect our failures and the frustration and anger we often feel as a result of others. It doesn't make any difference what the reason is for our excuses. The fact is, excuses don't sit well with Jesus. How do I know that? Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 57 and through 62. Let's read the story. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Good intentions <laughs> are easy to say words aren't the things that build the kingdom of God. They don't build the church, meaning the body of Christ. They might sound good, a, 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 a easy to say word or good intentions. They may sound good and they may give great impressions to the people that are listening, but it's not getting the work done. If I don't put actions to the, to the words, then there's nothing that's going to be accomplished with this good intention. A person says that they will do something but never gets around to doing it, they're actually more of a liability because you think something's going to get done, but nothing gets done because they don't, say what they're gonna, they don't do what they say they're going to do. And this is the kind of non-action that gives the church a bad name in the world because we're a bunch of do-gooders that don't do anything. We say all the right things, but we don't get to it. We don't get around to doing anything. And unfortunately, it only takes one bad example for a worldly person to make a determination that all Christians are that way, and therefore they're all to be untrusted. Right? It just takes one person to do that. Let's go back and Look at Jesus' words about this story again. He said, look at the last sentence, the last verse. He says, Jesus, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. The Living Bible translation says it this way. But Jesus told him, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. Wow, that really clarifies it, doesn't it? Because putting your hand to the plow Maybe we don't know what that means. But I, I love the way this, the Living Bible translates it. It says, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work that the Lord has called you to do is not fit for the kingdom of God. How easy is it, guys, to get distracted? 
How easy is it to say I'm going to do something, but then I get distracted by my busyness, that I never get around to getting it done? It's pretty clear here that Jesus isn't compassionate nor impressed with our excuses. And I think it's really time to be honest. The, honesty, the honest answer is, the reality is, the people get done what they want to get done. <laughs> if it's high in my priority list, then I'll make time to get it done. Isn't that true? If it's high in my priority list, I'll get it done. But if it doesn't hit my priority list, then I'm probably not going to do it. So the reality is, the honest answer is, I do what I want to do. You do what you want to do. I know it's hard to hear it, but that's the truth. So I really don't have a good excuse because I'm too busy. The reality is I just didn't make it my priority. It's not a good excuse. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school. There is not going to be an excuse, and I'm going to be, be able to give to God at the end of the day when I stand before him on my judgment day that he's going to say, oh, you know, Mike, you're right. I didn't think of that. You, that excuse is a good excuse. Oh, I'm, you're okay. No, I, there is not going to be an excuse that I can give to God at that day. So why do I do it today? Think about this a minute. Because this is why the church is inactive. This is why the church is not productive. This is why the church is not attractive to the world, because we make too many excuses. Oh, this is hitting me right between the eyes, guys. This is hitting me just as hard as it hits you. I'm telling you what, this is not easy for me to say, but that's the truth, because we say things that don't do anything. Now, some of you are going to say, well, that's not true, Mike, I do things. Well, you probably do. But the reality is, if I let less important things, according to kingdom principles, float to the top, and I do those things at the expense of the more important eternal things. Wow. And then, and then how dare some Christian brother come up to me and ask me a question <laughs> and uncover some of my fallacies, uncover some of my hypocrisy, and boy, do I get mad. Do I get offended now when somebody comes up and asks a question of me? Where were you? Well, I was so busy. I was doing that. And, and the reality was, no, I wasn't. I wasn't so busy. It just wasn't my priority. I didn't, come to men's I didn't come to men's breakfast because I was so busy. No, I just didn't want to come. Let's just be honest. I just didn't want to show up. I just didn't want to get out of bed. He isn't wanting a defensive, easily offended person that always thinks that God and other Christians are out to get him. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want us to live in guilt and condemnation. Rather, he wants us to be honest in our answers, yet willing to work hard to do the things that God puts in our path to do. That's what he wants. He wants a person that is going to do what they say they're going to do, no matter where you're at in your spiritual walk. Maybe you can't answer the question maybe the way you think God wants you to answer it, but be honest in it. And then let him empower power you. Let him lift you up, like we sang this morning. Let him be the lifter of your spirit. Then the final point for today. Jesus responded with a command to take care of his sheep. Every time the question was asked, the answer was given. Jesus followed up with, take care of my sheep. Interesting command. Who are these sheep? These are the people that Jesus is going to entrust to Peter later in his ministry. And why is this important? Well, when Jesus first called Peter, what was Peter doing? Go back to when Jesus first called Peter for his disciple. What was Peter's profession? He was a fisherman, right? 
Now, just before this encounter, just a few hours before Jesus is having this question and answer session with Peter, what was Peter doing? He was fishing again. Why is that important? Because Jesus was making a life call change in Peter's life. He was saying, I want you to leave your old lifestyle and I want you to be obedient, to trust me for a new one, meaning a new purpose and a new, a new mission. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. This is what Jesus, this is how he, they first met. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. But now Jesus says to Peter, come, Peter, it's time for you to tend my flock of sheep and lambs. Why? It's a, different, it's a different life calling. Peter has to leave behind his old lifestyle of fishing and trade it for a shepherd's staff. And one commentator says it this way. Peter begins the, the chapter chasing his former vocation as a fisherman. Jesus wants to turn him into a shepherd. Peter gets it. Later, when he instructs church elders, he doesn't call them to be fishers of men. He commands them to shepherd the flock of God. Jesus wants Peter to follow him. Peter should be a shepherd like Jesus was, which means dying for the good of the sheep, just like Jesus did. Jesus had a new identity and a new mission already prepared for Peter. And Peter was to exchange his love for fishing to a love for people to be a shepherd of the flock. So this was a commissioning time in Peter's life. Peter's response to Jesus is, is the model for us as well. Peter received the forgiveness of Jesus, and he also received a new life calling. This is how Peter went on from there. First Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, he says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He said, be shepherds of God's flock. He doesn't say be fishermen. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So what does this mean to us? What this means to us is that if we're, going to be, if we're going to really listen and answer and obey the call that Jesus is giving to us, then we're going to have to leave behind our old lifestyle as well. You're going to have to recognize that God has something different for you to do. He wants to give you a new identity, a new purpose, and a new mission. Do we understand that God wants us to be different after the commissioning call than what we were before the commissioning call? Does that mean I have to leave my own friends and acquaintances? Well, maybe so. Maybe you do. Maybe you have to change lots of things in your life. It's certainly a call for us to live righteously and holy, leaving behind the life of sin and that life of living for our old self. That we are to willingly leave our lifestyle that promotes sin and things that would promote me and that I would willingly accept the call of Jesus in our life, just like Peter did. Jackie, would you come, please, as we begin to wind this down? I will say that Jesus' purpose of this night was not to rebuke and punish them. 
just like it's not to rebuke and punish you. That's not his goal. Jesus wants to show us and instruct us in a better way. So as we finish here, the point of this love questions between Jesus and Peter was to reestablish relationship and to give Peter a direct action in order to live a Christ-centered life rather than a self-centered life. To be the person that God truly wanted Peter to be. Actions always prove our intention. Actions always prove our intention. Peter went on from that encounter with Jesus and he fulfilled the action commands by leading a newly commissioned lifestyle as he was to be the, the rock that the church was built on. Peter's honesty and his humility and the way he answered the questions from then on were the way that Jesus knew where Peter was coming from. I think because Peter answered the question honestly at that point, Jesus was able to trust Peter differently. I think he could see Peter be a different man than what he was just a few hours before because Peter had seen how truthful and how powerful answers need to be answered truthfully and how powerful that is. Peter's actions proved his love for Jesus. And I, the question that I have to ask myself and I ask you, what are your actions proving? Are our actions proving our love for Christ? John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24, he says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. Boy, that's a great question. What are my actions proving to the Lord? What are your actions proving to the Lord? As Jesus asked you this morning, do you love me? How are you answering him? How are you answering him? Are you answering honestly and humbly? Are you taking the steps in your life to make the changes that would prove your answer to be humble and loving to Christ? Or are we trying to answer him in our own boastful pride? Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the example of how you want us to live before you through the life of Peter and all the other disciples. And God, I just come now and I just want to peel back the layers of my life. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, to really discern in my heart, in my life, where am I really at here? Like we said at the, earlier in our service, we don't have time to play games. We don't have time to try to pull one over on you, Jesus. So Lord, I just pray that as this church grows spiritually, as we grow deeper in your word, that we would begin to see the reality of the questions and how important it is that we answer them with integrity and honesty. So this morning, as your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed this morning, how are you answering the questions to Jesus? Are you being truthful with them? Are you being honest? Or is there some work to be done? 
Only you know that. I don't know it. The person sitting next to you doesn't know it. I would like just to come down to the altar. And all we're going to sing the song that Jackie and Larry, Tom are playing. But I just want to end at the altar this morning. And I just want to give you an opportunity to be truthful with yourself. I don't need to know your answers. Not about that at all. It's just between you and the Lord this morning. So would you come forward if you're comfortable, unable, and let's just sing the song and let's just really get before the Lord for the next few minutes and just say, Father, truly, I want to be, I want to be open with you and I want to be honest with you. Father, I so thank you for the way that you receive us today. Lord, thank you for receiving us just where we are at. And that your love extends down into that, into our hearts, into our lives, and that you discern our hearts, you know exactly where we're at. And Lord, we all need more. We want more of you today. So I thank you for that, Lord, that you will just give us that assurance that you're working with us. We are a work in progress. And you'll take us right where we're at. And we love you for that. And we thank you so much. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, I just encourage you to go throughout this week and just continue to seek him. Continue to ask him where you want, where he wants you to be, doing what you want, what you should be doing. And just let him do the work in your life. Thank you for being here. Be blessed in Jesus' name.